and welcome to the Game Podcast from The Times. I'm Natalie Sawyer. And I'm Gab Marcotti, and we thank you for joining us on this Thursday. We're going to do something a little bit different today. We're one-third of the way through this Premier League season, and so we're going to bring you a special review of the campaign so far. Not quite award season, but uh, if players and managers are willing to accept one-third of an award... <laughs> We're handing them out this morning. And they should accept them, I think. Uh, in the studio with us, Times uh, columnist and uh, former Nottingham Forest defender, amongst others, Gregor Robertson. Many others. <laughs> many, many others. How many? <laughs> Only six, actually. Only six. Oh, see, not that Stre- much of a stretch, journeyman. Yeah, well, have you had six man. different employers in your life now? No, I haven't, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> no. uh, and also with us from Opta, here to give us the statistical insight into the performances we've seen so far. A big welcome to Matt Furness as well. Hi. Hello. And how many different employees have you had, Matt? Just one. Just Always the one. Opta. Opta for life. There you oh, go. Oh, goodness me. So are you going to get sort of a Scudamore type loyalty bonus when the time comes to... Yeah, probably £25, <laughs> more than 250000 per person, but uh, yeah, well, I hope so. <laughs> you never know what happens in the future. And we're going to start with a category that we had initial discussions about on Monday, and that is the player of the season so far. Now, it was suggested that Virgil van Dijk and Eden Hazard were perhaps the most important players to their clubs. Matt, do the stats bear that out? Um, yes, kind of. I mean, so to give you a bit of background, we have a index scoring system where you have every statistic will be given a positive or negative scoring uh, value. It takes into consideration about 350 different uh, metrics. So you can look at those and then maybe generate an index over a season to say who is this pair based on those statistics. So the top three so far this season are David Silva, Eden Hazard and Marcus Alonso um, based on the metrics that we collect. It is a fairly simple method. So it's obviously not taking into context like opponents and things like that. Um, so you usually do get the bigger sides who do a lot more during games higher up in those index. Um, David Silva, though, you can't really argue against that. And same with Hazard. Alonso to the eye, I don't think maybe the third best player this season, <laughs> but you do have players like Sterling and Walker up there as well. Uh, but yeah, David Silva has been fantastic this season. Uh, leads the league in terms of chances created for open play. And he's probably still as good, if not better, than he was when he first joined Manchester City. I mean, the, the different style of player now. And he's turning 33 in January and still really tearing up the Premier League in midfield. He's like a fine wine, isn't he, David Silva? Yeah. He? I mean, I think he's, as we said on Monday, I think he's somebody who really benefits from having much better players around him and and, and, and from the system. I'm curious because we got some stick for this on Twitter. And obviously it's a personal definition. You guys can define it any way you want. But should we view player of the season as the guy who's been most productive or the best? My personal view is who's most important to the team. In other words, if David Silva disappeared and if Phil Foden or Gundogan had played every minute that David Silva has taken in that, in that role, because obviously can't pretend that Kevin De Bruyne isn't injured how much worse would City be not much I I think it's different with Chelsea and Hazard I think he does make a huge difference because he's a a one-of-a-kind player but with City those sort of players are they're quite similar in style and someone but that's that's the recruitment and management of the City that they've been able to find people that can step in I mean fundamentally it's the issue with like team game versus individual Mm -hmm. game whereas correct me if I'm wrong but if Dejan Lovren had taken all of Van Dyke's minutes this season. Would Liverpool be second two points behind City? 
I mean, that's a sensible way of of, uh, of measuring this, is, the, the, this, this but, award. I mean, but it's clearly fair, it's not the way, way it's won every year. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a way also, let's be fair, it also penalises David Silva for being on a very good team with very good players. But I just, I just wonder about the way we think about this, because when I look at City, I would argue that perhaps Fernandinho or Aguero are more difficult to replace. Like, I think the drop-off from Aguero to Jesus, especially bearing in mind Jesus's form, or the drop-off from... Fernandinho to Delph or Gundogan or Stones in midfield or whatever he would do, that that would have a much a much bigger impact, right? If you were to pick the player of the season based on that, though, Wilfred Zaha would win it every year. <laughs> That's <laughs> what I wanted to get at. Well, the Palace haven't won a single game he's missed since the start of last season or hasn't started in, and that's, I think, around 12 or 13, 14 games, which is a massive impact. And when he does play that, the points per game is much, much higher, obviously, because they don't win games without him. You know, it's great defenders aren't their metrics on the ball aren't that important. It's what they do off the ball, their positioning, it's everything like that. And their presence. So yeah. someone like Van Dyke is he's a huge. He, he, the other players around him look at him and think we've, we've got this guy alongside us now, and it brings more from them. And I think he's sort of, he's sort of just the whole perception of Liverpool's back line is completely transformed because mm-hmm. of his arrival in the 2002 World Cup. Rio Ferdinand, uh, it was I can't remember which game it was. It was a particularly strong game for Ferdinand had no tackles in that match. And a national newspaper, which I'm not going to name, it wasn't the the Times, um, (laughs) refused to accept that he didn't make a tackle in that game and were arguing with us to say, no, he definitely, he would have made tackles. He was excellent. And in the paper the next day, they'd put in six tackles for Rio Ferdinand just because they thought uh, the the people reading the newspaper want to see that. Fake news. Yeah, it was. Who knew back then? Early days of fake news. (laughs) As a wise person once said, if... As a defender, you have to make a tackle. It's because somebody yeah. made a mistake. Either you yeah. made a mistake or your teammates made a mm. mistake. So, Well, we've got to get to it, haven't we? We've got to find out who you think is your player of the season so far. Gregor, let's hear your uh, player then. Yeah, sorry to repeat, but I'm, I'm going for Van Dijk for, the, for mm-hmm. all those reasons and his sort of general presence in that back four now. Matt? I will go with Eden Hazard because uh, 11 goals in 11, sorry, 11 goal involvements in 11 games, seven goals for assists. He's been involved in a goal every 71 minutes this season, and it's clear that when he plays Chelsea, they're much, much stronger when he doesn't. It goes back to what Gab was saying about David Silver. If Silver was to mi- um, miss a game, City can replace him. Chelsea, not so much, even though they're a little bit better this season. Gab, do you want to Natalie, have your... Natalie, why don't you give me yours? Okay, well, I'm, I'm torn on this. I, I, I get the Virgil van Dijk vote because he's just been a fantastic leader for them. Uh, he's brought so much um, security to the defence for, for Liverpool. But actually, mine's... It is a Manchester City player, but it's Bernardo Silva. I just think he's really come into that team this season. Uh, bear in mind, last season, he, he found it difficult, perhaps, to, to adapt to the English game. Obviously, you had David Silva, you had Kevin De Bruyne as the two attacking midfielders, so he perhaps wasn't used in that obvious role for him but with the misfortune of De Bruyne's injury this time around he's been able to slot into that team and I think he's been fantastic so far. Now we're going to ask you for your non-Big Six choices outside the Big Six and we know Matt has a good one so there'll be some pressure on you. I mean I know you guys spoke about David Brooks before and he has been a revelation. I think actually he surprised Bournemouth. I I saw one of their last pre-season games against Nottingham Forest um, and I spoke to a coach and they thought you'll need a year You'll need a year to, to bed, and I won't name this coach. Spoken to the same guy you did. Yeah, so I think, and I think that most of that was in a different language. They, they thought, <laughs> they thought it was going to, it was going to take him time to adapt to, to how Bournemouth play, really. Uh, but he's he's done that amazingly well, and I think he's been fantastic. I think so, so many Wolves players as well, but I think Matt Doherty as well has been 
remarkable as well this season, the way he's adapted to the Premier League. So he's someone who stepped up with a plum and he's been at the club for so long and and played with, with him in League One all the way up to the Premier League and he's and he's flourishing. So I like to see those kind of stories as well. So your choice is Brooks? It's got to be Brooks, oh yeah, it's got to be. Bournemouth fans, I hope you're listening because I'm going for another Bournemouth player, Ryan Fraser. Oh, yeah. So um, six assists this season, mm-hmm. most in the Premier League. But most interestingly, so he's already created 13 clear-cut chances for his teammates this season. That is the most across all of the European leagues, <laughs> ahead of Can't Neymar. Jaden Sancho. Ahead of Neymar, 11, and Messi, 10. So the top three players in the world at the moment, Ryan Fraser, Neymar, Messi. Well, Messi's been <laughs> injured. Yeah, well, forget that. Yeah. It doesn't matter, yeah. does it? Oh, it's minor details. Don't twist the stats gap. And then third most chances created this season in the Premier League. He cost Bournemouth 400,000 from Aberdeen in 2013. Um, and last season, like, really sort of a kind of breakthrough season in the Premier League. Very good at winning penalties, which is useful when you play for Bournemouth because they win a lot. They've won six already this season. Yeah, just a really tricky customer and underrated. A lot of people talk about Brooks and... Fraser seems to top quite a lot of stat charts, but no one ever seems to mention him as much as Brooks this season. So I think, yeah. No, I, I agree. I think Ryan Fraser, the wee man, uh, I, <laughs> I remember seeing him at Ipswich, thought he was brilliant at Ipswich when he was there. Um, and it's taken maybe a bit of time for him to fulfill his potential, but I yeah. think he's starting to do that now. Uh, and as you, the stats are, are suggesting he's one of their best players. Two special shouts as well. Ooh. James Madison, who's been brilliant this season uh, for Leicester. I love me some James Madison. He created the most <laughs> what is chances. it with all these like players from here that are number 10s and can actually play and mm. look up. I'm not, obviously, you mentioned Brooks and Madison. I, he was standout last season in the championship. Yeah. Um, yeah. Most chances created 124. He was only, only two players to have 100 or more. Um, he's going that way this season, 26 already in the Premier League. Um, but also, a special mention for an older player who's playing really well this season. Etienne Caput has been so good for Watford. He's been absolutely exceptional in the field. When he was missing against Southampton this week, he was replaced by Shalabar, who arguably is probably Watford's best player. But Watford looked weaker without Caput. And it's probably his best Premier League season so far. He was, struggled at Spurs um, and at Watford, kind of in and out the first few seasons with new managers but this season he's made that position his own with Decore and those two possibly like outside the top six you could say Watford probably have the best midfield in the Premier League Imagine if Decore, Capoue and the fit Chalaba mm. And you then take, Will Hughes and Pereira as well No but would you take those guys relative to every Manchester United midfielder oh. named Paul yeah. <laughs> Decore should be playing for a top six side he's that good I think there's injury worries about and him still you gave a shout to Capoue ahead of him yeah but I think because Decore, I, I'm a Watford fan, so ah, that's why. Ah, I see, but yes. Kiko Femenia, very, very effective this very season. Very good player. Decore, you expect that from him, but I think Capu, a lot of Watford fans didn't think he played this season. Chalabar was getting back to fitness. Uh, you'd think Will Hughes would probably play in the central midfield role, but he's been pushed out wide a bit more. But this season, Capu has just been exceptional. Before this weekend, before he was uh, missing his top of interceptions this season in the Premier League as well, and in Europe, so... He is very good at reading the game, and he's got this weird sort of languid style that's like a basketball player almost, where he plays on his toes. It's quite interesting to watch. He's very rangy. He's got a very long stride as well. So, yeah, great player. Love Capu. Gam, did you give us your player of the season? No, no, no. intentionally so. Why? Because it's point third. It's 12 games. It's not a significant <laughs> oh, sample size. It's, it's, uh, I got skewered for suggesting that it might not be David Silva because he's replaceable. So, no. Oh. So it would have been no, Nevin I'm going to I'm going to I'm, I'm, I'm going to sulk on this one. 
This season, with your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times, you can watch every highlight and every goal from every game in the Premier League. It's just £8 for an eight-week trial. Let's move on then to the goalkeeper of the season so far. Gab, come on then. You're sulking. I I have no trouble here choosing one, and I'm going to choose somebody outside the top six, and it's Rui Patricio. Good pick, I think. Tell us more. I get people go on about Wolves. I, I look at it sort of within the system, right? I don't think Wolves give up a ton of chances, and they're well coached, and people like wax on about Cody and Bowley and whatever, and Doherty, of course. But I think a lot of times when they do give up chances, I think that they're actually good chances. Again, I have no idea if the data back me up on this. And they're, they're difficult saves. And I think he's come up really big. This is not a guy... Obviously, the whole circumstances about how Wolves got him with the canceling of the contract and then the money getting paid late. I mean, he's a guy who, in ordinary circumstances, I think would have been beyond Wolves' reach. Well, if not for the fact that their owner also owns 20% of his agent's business. But apart from that, we've been through that. <laughs> but no, he's he's been, uh, I, I think he's been real, real value-added to, to Wolves this season. And, you know, he's not the only reason they're doing so well, but... A couple of results would have gone differently if not for him. Uh, Gregor, as a, as a defender, which of the goalkeepers you've seen in the Premier League would inspire confidence, do you think? I'm, I'm going to go with Alisson. Um, and I think all, the, all those things uh, Gab was saying about the ease, ease of the shots he's facing and stuff, I think probably he, he's had a fairly comfortable start to things, start to life in, in Premier League because of the improvement of the, the defence in front of him. But at the same time, along with Van Dijk, he's sort of He's a commanding presence, and he, you know, he come and collect crosses. And I think he's someone who has again improved. That was the two positions that Liverpool had to had to strengthen in to transform their season, and they've done so. And it looks to have, looks to be working very well so far. Already kept the same number of clean sheets as Mignolet did last season as well in the Premier League, seven. <laughs> so yeah, not yeah, a bad start. It's not really fair to Mignolet given that nineteen he games. He didn't start every, every nineteen games game started last season. Mignolet. Allison started 12 this I think season. conceded 12 less goals already. Five goals conceded this season, yeah. 12 less goals than at this point last season, yeah. And that's not all him. But it wasn't all done to Mignolet, let's, okay. let's be clear about that. But as a defender, you need to have a goalkeeper behind you, don't you, that you have confidence in. Mignolet, whether or not it was his own fault, just kind of attacked a little bit by the media and it gave him this conscience of like, oh no, they're expecting me to make an error that maybe contributed more towards his errors than the sort of expectation of him making them. Um, but Allison is definitely, yeah, he's... When you've got a goalkeeper like him, it's it's just his stature as well. He's a he's a big guy and very handsome guy too. Yeah, <laughs> maybe yeah, that might be the reason. That that's might be a recurring the theme as well. He's not great at Cruyff turns, but apart from that, no, yeah, <coughs> that's the thing. He has got a, like a stupid error in him, maybe, but not as frequent as previous goalkeepers at Liverpool. But I'll, I'll hit you with the data on this. Mm-hmm. So uh, you've given us your choice yet, or are you going with Allison too? Yes, I'm going to go with Allison because yeah. of the difference he's made. But he's not the best goalkeeper according to the stats. So I know you know about expected goals. A little bit. Not many listeners might know about expected goals. So basically, it's a way of looking at the quality of a chance. So if a penalty, for example, will be given a value of 0.76 because 76% of the time that will be scored based on historical data. Um, so each chance you have in a game, we can give a, a sort of a rating for really, and then you can apply that to goalkeepers as well. And it, and then you can also use the fact that where it went on the goal, so you can give an expected goals on target value. So a shot 
that might come from five yards out um, in the top corner of a goal, you'd expect to score 97% of the time or something like that. So you can then look at goalkeeper and say, okay, how many of these goals are they preventing? So this season, Allison has faced shots on target that you would expect teams to score nine goals from. He's actually only exceeded five, so he's exceeded his his uh, number by four. So really, he's prevented four goals that an average goalkeeper would have conceded. The best this season is Hugo Lloris, who has prevented five... Well, it's actually 5.3 goals because it's all round up, but five goals on average. Um, interestingly, David De Gea last season was miles ahead of anyone so in Europe. Just jump in on Lloris just to remind everybody that Lloris missed, what? Eight games least? he's played this season as well, yeah. Yeah, so he's missed four games. Mm. I think a lot of those were against West Ham. He made a lot of really good saves against West Ham. But last season, David De Gea, he essentially prevented 14 goals that an average goalkeeper would have uh, conceded in the Premier League, which papered over the cracks for Man-, Man United last season. This season, it's one. So it's kind of like averaged out to what a normal goalkeeper would be expected to concede. One isn't a bad value. I mean, he's still preventing goals from being scored that average goalkeepers would have conceded. But compared to last season, that might be why Manchester United aren't doing so well at the back of the season. It's not De Gea's fault. It's just that he's now reverted to the mean, really, of what is expected of him. Sometimes I wonder if Matt and I are the only people who find this stuff interesting about <laughs> um, about sort of data and goalkeepers. One interesting thing is, I think it's generally, for analytics people generally tell you that this is the, one of the single toughest positions oh. to get to judge and to know what the data means because in the end, as we've discussed in one previous podcast also, the samples are ultimately pretty small because goalkeepers don't actually face that many shots. No. And, one thing I want to say, just using this this type of approach that Matt just described, if you remember the year that Liverpool signed Mignolet, the year before, the two guys who had by far the best, who ranked highest in the Premier League based on, on these metrics, were De Gea and Mignolet. And that was a big part of the reason, I'm told, why Liverpool signed Mignolet. And one big issue is that there's an issue of repeatability with these stats, mm-hmm. that with a lot of them, with... You know, Marcos Alonso will produce comparable stats year after year, as will Aguero. With goalkeepers, they seem to be all over the place. Natalie, we need your nomination, then well, your uh, non-big six. Nomination. Well, to be fair, though, mine is a, is the same as yours, Rui Patricio. There I think go. he's done very well. He's, he commands his box so well. Great shot stopper. Uh, you can't forget that save that he pulled off Raheem Sterling, the City game, where he used the opposite hand when he's diving towards his left. I mean, I just think he's been excellent so I, far. I think the reason we don't choose Alisson is that you and I are not blinded by the guy's movie star good looks, <laughs> unlike these two. <laughs> okay, you're, 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 in non-top six, I'd say Fabianski. I, I really think he's a good shot stopper, really a decent is. goalkeeper. I'd, and say, I'd say the same about Ryan. I mean, even the that crazy Sol Bamba goal the weekend, he made an f- amazing save just before that. He, he, he makes some real eye-catching saves, so I think he's been great. Burnley have definitely missed a goalkeeper in the calibre of Heaterson or Pope this season as well. Those two really good shots. <laughs> That's been one of those big... Well, look, look at her big up face. Poor Joe Hart. Joe Hart's biggest fan here. <laughs> not, not, not at all, but I just suddenly thought, oh, it's got even worse for Joe Hart. Right, let's, let's move on then. Uh, so we've done our goalkeeper of the season, we've done the player of the season as well, but what about the manager of this season? Who's been the best gaffer uh, so far after uh, 12 games. Gregor? You have to look at what Eddie Howe's done so far, but I think we need to see that elongated and <laughs> prolonged for the rest of the season to, to, to really to give him that award. What, four uh, years in the Premier League aren't enough for you? Well, surviving, yeah, but if he's to make it in the top six or the, stay in the top mm-hmm. six for the rest of the season, then yeah, he's manager of the year. Pochettino, with all the sort of turmoil 
uh, injuries, so many players at the World Cup. There's so many points better off as well than last season. Um, but I think I think Sari. I think to I like to see a coach, the evidence of their work in the training ground straight away, and that's that's definitely been the case. He's only only signed Kepa and, and uh, Jorginho, um, but and Kovacic. And Kovacic, yeah. But the, <laughs> his style of play has been immediately evident and. Uh, very welcome as well, I think. So I've, I've really enjoyed watching Chelsea this season. So I'm going to say sorry. First manager in Premier League history to go unbeaten in his first 12 games as well. Yeah, beat Football Frank, Frank didn't Clark. begin in 1992, young man. Last Frank, manager to do Frank it was Clark. in 1947, was an Arsenal manager. Bill Edgar came up with that one. No, so, that is cur- true, yeah. But who was the manager in 1947? Tom Whitaker was manager of Arsenal in 1947. Yeah, it's been a great impact that uh, Sari has made at uh, Chelsea so far. Gab, what do you think? Within the big six, I'm going to give you a big six and a non-big six answer. I struggle to overlook the fact that Pep Guardiola is without his best player and has been without his best player for all but 84 minutes, and he's replicating last year's numbers. Um, We consider that all the guys, he had all the excuses that we normally throw out when people underachieve, right? Like, you know, I follow Inter Milan in Italy. Perisic is terrible. The goal, but look, poor guy, he had the World Cup. Yeah, okay. So did Walker, so did Sterling... Um, he's doing all this without the guy who I think is actually head and shoulders his most talented player. Sorry, David. And that's Kevin De Bruyne. So I would lean towards Pep with a shout out to Sari simply because he had no time to work. Sari's football, a bit like Eddie Howe's football, is based on... There's not much improvisation, right? So much of it is coordinated movements, repetition, blah, blah, blah. It takes him a really long time for the players to learn it. And, you know, he came back, there was nobody there other than Ross Barkley, and he still managed to get the results. Only unbeaten team in all competitions in Europe, Chelsea. Community Shield, they lost that. The Community Shield <laughs> is not a real football match, as we know. Okay, so that's your top six best manager. Yeah. Um, Matt, did you, did, we, did you give us yours? No, I, mine, mine shared between Eddie Howe and Javi Garcia. Garcia because he's I mean, actually... I know, there'd be another Watford <laughs> guy in there. Well, yes. they're both level on 20 points and Garcia gets it because he's actually able to hang around at Watford uh, without being <laughs> sacked. True. But it's, since 2009, there's only been 10 other occasions of a non-Big Six side having 20 or more points from their opening 12 games. All of those finished top 10, so looking good for Bournemouth and Watford so far. But, word of warning, they have exactly the same record as Hull did in 2008-09, with 20 points, 1-6 drawn, magical Phil Brown? Yeah, and they finished 17th that season and managed to stay up on the final day where Phil Brown sang for them. So maybe Eddie Howe or uh, Javi Garcia will be singing on the final day. We need... Have we had your pick, Nana? No. Um, I am a little bit torn again. Um, I think Maurizio Pochettino has, has done a, a great job considering all the mm. the drama at, at Tottenham this and season. The injuries. Injuries, the, the stadium woes, <laughs> all of that, yes, indeed. The fact that actually they've been entertaining on the pitch in terms of the drama of games that they've, they've played in as well. They've had their best start to a Premier League season. I think he's done very well, Maurizio Pochettino. So maybe in my top six, he might get the nod, but Equally, I do think Eddie Howe has just been fantastic. They're a club that is progressing year on year. I guess the only issue with him is just how far can he take Bournemouth? Where is that ceiling? And But as for a start for a season, I'm going to go for Eddie Howe. A lot of good shouts, but I have to go with Nuno. Yeah. Um, huge, obviously, we know the story behind it. But also, and he's, I think he's also been quite fortunate that he hasn't had injuries. Um, and he was able to keep the same 11 for a long time. But... 
the way they play is really impressive and everybody's really on message. I agree. It has to, it has to be Nuno. He's, the system is king. It's, uh, there, there isn't a, a standout star really for them, although they have so many technically excellent players. But And they're playing in exactly the same way as they did in the Championship. I watched them a lot last season and it's another triumph for coaching, excellent coaching. They're so well drilled and they know how they, how they play. They've taken to the Premier League like a duck to water. So absolutely has to be Nuno. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. We've been very polite. We've been bigging up a lot of players and, and, and managers. Now we can be nasty. Uh, who's been underachieving as a player so far? I don't know if there's any stats that, that can tell us that, Matt. Technically, there there are. Uh, I've got to be careful because I can't be too negative about players. We yeah. work with a lot of clubs. <laughs> of course. But I think the clubs will know. Yeah. Romelu Lukaku, for me, I, I think Ooh. I expect more from him. He he is a top player, a really good player. But whether or not it's down to confidence issues or the way he's being utilised by Mourinho this season, he seems to be playing a bit deeper than normal. Lukaku is best when he's... A box player, he's a striker, he's a, the ultimate striker you can have. This season, four goals in 11 games. He's only attempted 20 shots, which is a shot every 40 minutes. For someone like Lukaku, that's pretty low, really. You'd expect more. And only 6.7% of his total touches are shots. That's the fewest he's ever had in a, a single Premier League season. So maybe he's dropping a bit too deep, not having those shots. But is that down to confidence? Is he not being given the best chances, so he's having to drop deeper to do that? Who knows? I know it's fairly obvious, but it has to be Sanchez. I mean, the the regression in, in 12 months has been extraordinary, really. Uh, and how, how unhappy he looks and, and how he can't get into a team that is really struggling. Um, so yeah, I, think, I think it has to be Sanchez and I, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him leave, actually. Um, 
in January or potentially? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you um, think it's down to the management? Do you think it's the way? None of their players look happy. They don't no, look they like don't. they enjoy playing football at the moment. They don't, but the other ones are, the other players are, are doing a lot more regardless. Mm. Um, and I think, yeah, we, we can talk about the management and, and he's, who is he getting the most out of, mm. Mourinho, really? Is there anyone? I'm not sure. But Sanchez really is head and shoulders above the rest in terms of um, how much he's regressed. I don't view this as like a negative towards a player. I view this more as like a player I thought would have a big in- impact and who... You know, I was really excited to see. You could mention a whole host of United players. Uh, you guys both mentioned United players. But I'm going to mention a Liverpool player, um, and that's Nabi Keita. This is a guy who certainly is a guy analytics people love. I mean, absolutely adore. Um, he's a guy who, obviously, the club knew he was coming for a very long time, so they could prepare, they could build a whole system around him. I know he's had, he's had an injury as well. He didn't necessarily hit the ground running as quickly as I would have expected. And I, again, I set the bar really high with him. I really thought, you know, he was going to walk in there and be as important to Liverpool as Firmino or, or, or Salah or, or Van Dijk. And obviously that hasn't happened yet. But we're 12 games in, but he's somebody who I think can achieve a whole heck of a lot more. Do you want to know mine? Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> do you know mine's a little bit, it might be controversial, I don't know, but I was really thinking about it. And someone who's just disappointed me in terms of not really making a mark at all is Theo Walcott. I know he's had his injury problems. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> I know he's had injury problems, of course, but scoring two goals so far in the Premier League for Everton is just not really enough, is it? And and there was so much hope for this for this guy. And yet... He's just not delivering, and it's a bit of a shame. So for me, he's underachieving. His limelight's been stolen a little bit by Richarlison, survival with Everton, and uh, everyone loves him now. And Walcott's kind of been a bit forgotten there. Yeah, and uh, I think he's someone that is, is easily droppable. It's yeah. shocking that you know. <laughs> yeah, it's a shame because I think he does have certain attributes that, for a Premier League player, are useful. But he also has certain attributes that every year for the last ten years. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Yep. You talk about signing players on rep, that's the yeah. Walker. Yes. He'll give you five good games a season, and it might be a world beater in those five games, but the rest of the time, yeah, you can go missing quite a lot. Uh, so we've talked about the underachieving player, but what about the uh, overall team that uh, we should be expecting more from? And obviously there was big news uh, yesterday with a departure, Gab. Yes. Slavisa Djokanovic departing Fulham and replaced by Claudio Ranieri. I... I think you're kind of a leading question from you because <laughs> the third biggest spending team in all of Europe. I don't think enough has been made of this. So let me repeat this. Fulham, little Fulham from Craven Cottage, newly promoted to the Premier League, were the third biggest net spenders in Europe behind Liverpool and Juventus, I think. This is just unreal that you can do this. And be dead last in the table. Alison Rudd has a piece in the Times about how Shad Khan, such a nice and patient. Remember, she told this he wasn't going to sack him, but mm-hmm. such a nice. All of a sudden, like he stopped being patient, or maybe he was patient for too long. I don't know, but I think you can look at their recruitment as well. Mm, I think. Absolutely. I, I just think they signed too many players without having a sense of a hierarchy. I don't know that Chakanovich was necessarily. I don't know how on board he was with these signings because you look at some of these, they, they don't fit together. Taken as individuals, 
you know, hey, look, Sari, look, Barcelona wanted him. He's a guy with a big upside. Torreira, who's a Sari-type player, is doing really well, so maybe that's not a bad one. And Guisa is a guy who I know a lot of scouts were going nuts about last year. You know, Shorla on loan, calculated risk. The guy won a World Cup. He's from Borussia Dortmund. He's a skillful player. He's already been in England. Makes sense. Vieto is another one, right? Everything makes sense. But then you just can't put the pieces together at all. Jukanovic doesn't I don't think he had a lot of say in a lot of the recruitment and I think he's been quite public about that which is fine too because Jokanovic was used to that he was at Watford he didn't have any say there so last season in the championship he was very good because it was working well where he'd quickly change teams if it wasn't working he'd adapt to every opponent he played the Premier League's much harder than that we all know that and it's kind of like his team don't look like they know what they're being asked to do are we this free-flowing attacking team that goes for the games or we sitting back at certain games and he's moved Sessegnon uh, around who was like the, one of their main players last season Kearney hasn't really had the impact that he had last season Johansson was really good last season hasn't played so much this season I think he was panicking from the off it seems like the right decision really there conceded the most goals in the top five leagues this season only one team in Premier League history has conceded more goals than them after 12 games was um, it the year Derby got three points? Barnsley in 97-98 oh. exceeded 35 and what um, happened to Barnsley that season? They melted back <laughs> to the Football League. <laughs> oh dear. As we've already suggested, there is the Tinker Man now in place, Claudio Ranieri. What do you think he's going to do, Gab, at Fulham? I mean, he's obviously highly motivated to, to come back. There's, there's a, a big parallel in some ways with the 2006-07 Serie A season when Claudio Ranieri, having been sacked by Valencia on his return, who's terrible having gone on a long holiday, comes back and takes over Parma, who were either last or second to last, and boom, they finish in they finish in mid-table. Um, I think he's going to be asked to do that. I think he's got tremendous, tremendous owners who will support him. I think he's got tremendous amounts of talent on his team. You know, I think he looks at this, he says safety isn't that far away. What is it, four points, right? And I think he thinks that he can do that. As Gab said, they have a good team, they have a good squad. It's not like he's coming into a... A team with like they can't reinforce until January and they're going to really eke their way to try and win some points until then. The Fulham squad is a top 10 squad, arguably. Yeah. Plus, being based in London, having a lot of money in January, they can recruit yeah. quite well. So, and he can uh, walk to work from his house. Yeah, <laughs> and I think after so many new arrivals, the sort of dynamic of that, that team from last season has just been shattered. I mean, yeah, Tim Ream said as much afterwards. So, I think it needed another a new manager, a new voice to come in, and that's kind of that'll. Reawaken everyone and think, right, we're, we've got a new man at the helm here and, and I, I wouldn't be surprised to see them move up the table, yeah. So are Fulham our overwhelming favourite for underachieving team then? I have to be. <laughs> yes, which is you know, good news for Manchester United. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we don't have to talk about no. them. OK, why don't we uh, talk about the best newcomer? We've already, there's been a mention already for David Brooks. So does he lead the way uh, as the best newcomer to the, to the Premier League? Gab? I'm going to go with Ruben Nevis. Um, you are loving Wolves at the moment. <laughs> I just think he's a really good player. I don't, I'll give you two, actually. The other one is being, being Lucas Torreira. Um, Lucas Torreira, there was so much skepticism about him. First, when he originally came to Italy, because, because he's so little. But also, you know, Lucas Torreira moving to Emory. I remember talking to a scout for, um, for a London-based big club, and he said, look, this guy was way down on Emery, and he said, look, this is what he does. He comes from a certain brand of football, and 
oh, look, he likes little guys who can pass and play. Like, this guy's going to get eaten alive. And the first, you know, English thug who goes and kicks him 20 feet in the air. And we saw that that hasn't actually happened. In fact, on several occasions, it's been Lucas Torreira kicking somebody 20 feet in the air, right? So I think he's made Shaka better. You know how Shaka used to be like the butt of all jokes. I think he's been reasonable this season. That's my choice. Hopefully he can make, if you're an Arsenal fan, he'll make Gunduzi better too. I think, I know he, he looks a player as well. You think so? Because yeah. I, I think opinion is quite a divided on him too. But um, So yeah, so I'm going to say, but I mean, all these guys we have on our list here are, are pretty good. I like the way Gunduzi progresses with the ball. He's always positive. Everything he tries to do is positive, and he's his eye for a sort of a through ball. There's one particularly at Stamford Bridge this season for it might have been for a goal. It was a chance in the first half of that game where he threaded it through three different Chelsea players with one single pass. It was fantastic. His vision for such a young player who hasn't played top flight football before it was fantastic. And to be thrown straight in that side, Emery must think quite highly of him as well. Okay, so uh, Torreira gets your nod, uh, Gregor. Yeah, I mean, I've, I'm going for David Brooks, but as I said, I thought Matt Doherty was... You just picked David Brooks for everything. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> with the, yeah, David oh, he Brooks. has been, he has been. Even at the expense of dissing your countryman, Ryan Fraser. Well, Fraser was here already, but still. <laughs> well, I, I, as a fullback, I also want to mention again uh, Doherty, because he was... It's a difficult role in, in that in that wheel system. So much running, defensive responsibilities and attacking responsibilities, and and the way that, you know, he often he links up so well, he runs inside rather than overlaps and couple of assists and a goal I think he's he's been brilliant so far Matt what about you um, I feel like we should mention Jorginho I think he's been brilliant for Chelsea so far this season adds that sort of measure of control in midfield does the simple things well but although he's not a newcomer he's pretty much a newcomer because we've forgotten about him Ross Barkley this season has been so good for Chelsea and it's encouraging to see someone who as, as an England fan as well like you can have someone who can progress with the ball like that who has no real fear when he's playing on the top of his game. We didn't see enough of that at Everton, but there's obviously a player in there, and it feels like he's a new player, a complete new player at Chelsea, and hopefully he'll still keep getting chances at Chelsea under Sarri. Um, but also, yeah, Brooks, Madison, two players we mentioned already, have really performed well, but Torreira as well was one of my picks. He's that player that Arsenal have needed for a few years, and he will change that side for the better, and he has so far. Well, uh, again, they've been mentioned already. I love, uh, I love it when a player can step up from the championship and just effortlessly just you know fit into the Premier League. And so James Madison and David Brooks, I'm finding it very difficult to pick between the two. I think both of them have been fantastic. They've been standout players. Um, just for the fact that they have just progressed so easily and transformed into a Premier League player like they've been playing it for a very long time. So I'm kind of splitting it between Brooks and Madison. We give a shout out to, I think, to the Leicester fullback, to uh, Pereira as well I think that guy's a player and a half and you know he's bounced around different different clubs and stuff and I think there's been some people who are maybe a little bit skeptical about some of the people behind him and who he's involved in but he's he's just taken to that so well okay well our last category is your favorite thing of the season so far so it could be a goal it could be a moment it could be a stat mat even <laughs> so anyone want to, to, I, to come I'll up give with you two yes one is Chelsea v Liverpool, actually at the final whistle, Sarri and Klopp looking at each other with those big (laughs) smiles and like, this is so much fun. I I love rivalries between managers um, and I, you know, this is part of bread and butter and stuff and the mind games and all this stuff, but two guys who served up tremendous football and who have a genuine respect for each other and who just enjoyed it and kind of show you that, you know what, there really is another way. Um, and then the other thing I want to mention is that that absurd goal that Arsenal scored, mm. the, the Ramsey mm-hmm. one. 
just because, and again, maybe you play it again a hundred times and they don't score. But that was just incredible. Mm. Seeing Arsenal play with a bit of freedom and fun again is nice to see, uh, really. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not an Arsenal fan, as you know, no. but I really enjoy watching Arsenal play in full flow and I think Emery's brought that enjoyment back. And seeing Aubameyang and Lacazette play together when they do, it's wonderful to see two strikers play with each other like that and they just look so good when they play together. But that's not your choice. Your choice not my me, choice. It, let me guess. It's Isaac's success finally scoring. <laughs> Isaac's success finally scoring and not <laughs> drinking two bottles of Baileys is a success. But... Having a title race. <laughs> I remember a- when this happened. I spoke to somebody at the club who told me, like, you won't believe. There's, I got a call the night before. The story's coming out tomorrow. You won't believe what this guy's done. And he gave me all the details, including some things that didn't make it into the paper. Yeah. Like, it was- who drinks two it's- bottles of Bailey? You have how, to applaud how is that, that even possible? Yeah. On the bottle as well. Is there. Impressive. He's like a big kid, right? And it wasn't Christmas. He's like a child. <laughs> yeah, he is young. Um, so, yeah, it was a naive error. I'm sure he felt. Oh, we forgive that. him for that reason. Yeah. He's young. <laughs> My favourite thing so far is we have a title race. We have three unbeaten teams for the first time after 12 games ever in a top flight season. Um, so we have an actual title race between three teams. It looks like, and you never, you never know. Arsenal might get involved in that. Tottenham might get involved in When's that. When's the last time? I mean, do you have to go back to ninety-three minutes and twenty seconds to find the last time we had a legit title race? Am I forgetting something obvious? Probably the Liverpool City when um, the slip was that mm. the last time. Probably we had a real title race that actually looked like it could go down to the wire. On the flip side, it's also the first top flight season we've ever had seven teams on less than 10 points after 12 games. So we could have a record low total of points to survive this season. So we're seeing a a kind of a three-way split in the league at the moment. We're seeing top three, next five, and then you've kind of got the lower half again. I can't wait for a Super League where like the top six just break away and just play each other, you know, six times a year. And then the other ones can go join Andrea Rodriguezani in Premier League 2. Yeah. Wouldn't that be mm. awesome? That would be fun. It sounds exciting. Watford might win it then. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah. Could be. Back in Europe, finally. <laughs> um, okay, so Gregor, what, what would I, you say? I've, I've written down uh, Bamiang's goal against, against Leicester. And I get some of the same theme. Arsenal's sweeping moves uh, and seeing them play with some, some real joy. Uh, again, Emery's someone who's who's come in and, and his impact has been felt pretty pretty immediately and uh, some of the football they've been producing has been has been outstanding so I think uh, that goal that goal stood out for me to see the smiles on their face and those two strikers as well sort of in top form that was that was um, a sign of Arsenal sort of returning I like you appreciate the uh, Aaron Ramsey goal thought that was fantastic I also think the Ulkai Gundogan one in the uh, Manchester derby, the 44 passes. 44 passes yeah. I, I yeah, realised... 44 passes against traffic. Call, I, I was about to <laughs> say that. I, do, I was about to say that, but still, it, you know... You it's enjoyed just... it because it made United look really bad, didn't you? I, no, I didn't enjoy it for that reason, but it is a bit funny. So, maybe a little bit. <laughs> so, yeah. So, can you critique it since you're only, as a professional, as a defender? <laughs> what the hell? I mean, you weren't on the show Monday. We talked about what the hell happened there. If you had been one of those guys for City on the pitch... You wouldn't have screwed up the 44 pass chain, right? I certainly wouldn't. I've ever given it to someone. No, I mean, me to make the no. <laughs> I don't know. I just thought that was so, so soul destroying from from United. You know that Lukaku goes off the press on his own. Nobody yeah. follows him, and and and, and Mata, and nobody. It's two one in the game. It's a derby. 
it wasn't one thing or the other. That's the thing. You, as you say, if, if they're sitting off, then don't don't one man go on your own <laughs> just to close someone down and have the ball passed around you in a triangle. So it was, yeah, it was pretty depressing to watch if you're a Man United fan. That comes down to what we were saying earlier there. But Man United players just don't seem to look like they really care, <laughs> even in the derby. They uh, weren't pressing there. But, I mean, City, did. they had the potential to do that. I mean, they did it last season in a League Cup game. They had 55 passes, I think it was, before a goal, and that was from kickoff. So West Brom didn't touch the ball for the first two and a half minutes, and City <laughs> scored with the first chance. But um, this season, it, it, we've got a category called build-up attacks, which is basically any passing sequence of 10 or more passes that end up leading in a shot or a touch in the opposition box. Man City about 101 of them. Charles Hughes must love that, right? <laughs> yeah, he, he could. 101 this season by Man City. The next best is Chelsea with 55. So they're f- wow. miles ahead. Uh, City mm. just build up, attack, 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 with like long passing sequences, and they're so good at it, teams can't get the ball off them. I've mentioned him before, but for those who don't know, Charles Hughes is the guy who wrote the FA's coaching manual together with another man named Charles Reap, who... We shouldn't, as I've been told, we should make fun of them because if not for them, people like Matt would have probably never had a job. Mm -hmm. In some ways, they were pioneers. I've got a Charles Reap tattoo. Well, (laughs) they were very good at collecting data, maybe less so at interpret. They're the people who famously said Brazil would be the best team in the world if only they passed the ball less and things like that. (laughs) Yes. Well, that is our awards for this, what, third of the season. So very worthy winners, I think we can say. All hail David Brooks. (laughs) (laughs) And but, Watford. And they're small sample sizes, <laughs> Natalie, so it could all be different. Later. Absolutely. Variants. Indeed, indeed. But that is it for now. Many thanks to our guests today, Matt Furness and Gregor Robertson. Remember, you can subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times to enjoy award-winning journalism online and on your smartphone or tablet. It's just £1 a week for an eight-week trial. Search The Times subscription for more information. We'll be back on Monday after England host Croatia in the Nations League and relegate them. The game is brought to you by The Times. For more information and more podcasts from The Times, head to thetimes.co.uk. 